Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Rich Farago, known as MetFanRich and CT Mets Fan on Twitter. And you are listening to a hot stove edition of the Metsian podcast. Um, so tonight what we'll do as the hot stove is, uh, we'll call it eh, lukewarm maybe. You know, there's been a little bit of activity, not a lot. Um, and to do that, you know, to break down what has happened and what may happen, I've got a couple of uh, great people to do that with. First of all, let me introduce the, um, the CEO of our podcast, the Grand Poobah, and, and the guy who wears the crown behind the whole thing, uh, Mr. Sam Maxwell. So, Sam, tell us um, how you're doing tonight and, and where you're doing tonight, because you get around. I am doing well. I am upstate at my mother's lovely country home, uh, just trying to get a little bit away from the city. I got some uh, errands to run up here as well. And uh, excited to talk a little hot stove. Things are heating up a little bit, it sounds like. So let's go Mets. Excellent. And Mike LeCollant, our other um, co-conspirator in podcasting, is not able to join us tonight. You know, he has to work, and and work certainly uh, is something we all have to do. So, Mike, I hope you have an easy night of work. And if you get a chance to listen in, I, I hope you're able to enjoy the show. And let me bring on our special guest tonight, um, a gentleman who many of you know because of his writing and his activity on Twitter, and, and also someone who's joined us a few times on the Metsian podcast. We are absolutely thrilled to be able to talk win, a hot stove winter meeting baseball with Tim Healy of New York Newsday. And I'm going to throw this in now, and Tim, we're going to say it a few times, I think, but Tim, like me, fellow Connecticut, uh, re- uh, not resident, but you're a native <laughs> of Connecticut. So, Tim, how are you tonight, and um, and what's going on with you? And maybe you, when you tell us where we can find you on Twitter and all of that, please tell us what it's like for you as a veteran reporter with the winter meetings being virtual. Like, How has this rocked your world? It has rocked my world in the sense that I have slept a lot more this week than I normally would. Uh, I am I am home for one, which is different. Um, and real, I mean, I I know people talked about you know the virtual winter meetings. The winter meetings are virtual this year. As far as I'm concerned, for all intents and purposes, especially news making purposes, there were no winter meetings. You know, the the actual meetings that happen at the winter meetings happened virtually, but the dynamic you get of having everybody in one spot that was obviously missing this year. So um, as far as I'm concerned, there were no winter meetings. I, the Mets had no media availability. We haven't heard from Sandy Alderson in a, in a couple of weeks now. So um, uh, a very different second week of December than we usually see. That's for sure. Definitely. And, and Tim, um, you know, obviously you, you write for Newsday, you're on the Mets beat. Where can people find you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Tim B. Healy. That's H-E-A-L-E-Y. And, of course, at Newsday.com slash Mets, where we have all of our Mets stories, including one specific one that I am going to plug later when we get to that topic. Uh, absolutely. Please do. So, Tim, um, obviously uh, you, Sam, and I can talk about the Mets moves, right, what they've done so far, what they might do. Um, but I'm going to ask you a question that, that maybe, uh, maybe you weren't expecting, but just because I'm curious. When it comes to I'm, – I'm hearing that, oh, you know, we, we're not going to have a 162-game season. It might be 100 games, and we all know why that is. You know, start it later. Maybe the pandemic will be under control by that point. Before we get into players and stuff like that, what are you hearing? Are, are we going to spring training in February? Is it going to be March? Does anybody know? What, what's the buzz? Uh, well, the, the short version is nobody knows yet. Uh, much, much as was the case in April, May, June, a lot of possibilities are being kicked around. One of them, Sandy Alderson mentioned a couple of weeks ago, where you know maybe you just push everything back a month 
And instead of showing up to spring training in mid-February, it becomes mid-March, and that will allow for a a more normal season. Another version that I've heard is you show up to spring training normal time, mid-February, and then maybe you stick around longer than you normally do. And the start of the regular season is delayed till mid-April, May 1st, whatever it ends up being. Um, uh, And then, so there are a lot of versions of it uh, being passed around or or considered, um, but they haven't landed on anything yet. So, you know, I think it was especially true in March and April, but it's still true now to a certain extent that at no point in this have, I think we've, have we been able to accurately predict what it's going to be like, you know, tomorrow sometimes, never mind two months from now when spring training will be kicking up. So there's, there, there are some things, there's some, a lot of stuff to be decided between now and then, including how quickly the vaccine can be distributed, how quickly, uh, obviously MLB will tr- want to get its hands on a, a lot of that to vaccinate its people. So, um, we'll see how all that plays out over the next weeks and months. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, that we don't hear a lot about. Like like every now – I keep thinking, okay, you know, it's, it's about, what, two months till spring training. But then you, you see something, and you see, well, you know, it's a, I, I read the words pipe dream. It's a pipe dream to think that we'll have a 162-game season. Maybe 100 is more realistic, you know, with the delayed spring training. And then it sort of, at least for me, it reels me back into reality. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, huh? I mean, it, it, not everybody's going to be vaccinated by the middle of February. And it's pretty unlikely, you know, to think that um, I think what they want, you hear about all these teams crying poverty, you're, you'd think they want fans to go to spring training games. And, and I don't think you're going to see a lot of that until there's at least, if not widespread distribution of the vaccine, vaccine at least moderately widespread. Um, and that probably makes sense. So anyway, I'm glad we, we could touch on that. And thank you for your insight on that. And, um, and I guess it's a stay tuned kind of a thing. So, Tim and Sam, with some of the moves the Mets have made, um, you know, we as a fan base, you know, I know, Tim, you're objective as a reporter, but Sam and I as fans and, and other people as fans, we, we want the Mets to make the big splash. You know, we, we want to see this person and that person, and we'll talk about all those people. But, but let's talk about what they've done so far. So, Tim, I'm going to go to you with your – we'll go to you first on this and with your thoughts on the signing of Trevor May. Um, certainly a guy with great stuff. Um, and a guy who's now reunited with Hefner. So what are your thoughts on, on Trevor May? Where do you think he'll slot in? Do you think it was a good move by the Mets? And then, Sam, I'll go to you with the same question. I think it's a definitely a good move by the Mets, which will help fortify an area of the roster that badly needs it. The Mets bullpen, has, you know, Mets fans don't need reminders, I know, but it's been bad for years now. And Trevor May figures into that late-inning situation uh, probably not closer, but you can close if you want him to, uh, probably some days. Um, so he's, he, he checks all the boxes. He's good at pitching, reunites with Hefner. Uh, seems like he has a great personality and a, and a, a big following, even outside of baseball and his, in his video game streaming. So uh, he's a fun-loving guy and a good pitcher, and you can never have too many of those. I think he will be a great pitcher, just like you said. So, Sam. Um, when you think about it, you know, and you think about the perennial area of need, as I like to refer to with the bullpen, um, what are your thoughts on signing Trevor May? Do you, do you think that was, uh, I mean, one thing I would say, Sandy struck quickly on that one. You know, um, mm-hmm. it wasn't a situation like you're seeing now with, you know, they're kind of dancing with McCann and all that. And we'll get to that. But what were your thoughts on signing Trevor May? Well, you know, I wasn't completely aware. I haven't been as on top of my full MLB roster like I, I used to be. I mean, I, I remember I used to be able to, like, name at least, like, three players on every team. And uh, I, I wasn't necessarily privy to the minutes of the Twins. Um, but having, you know, done some research after they signed it, uh, I was very happy. And, and especially from, like, what we're used to when it comes to the Wilpons, twiddling their thumbs and then signing whoever's, you know, left over from the C category by February. Uh, this was just an, an immediate example of how things are going to be different. And in terms of, of the, uh, the press conference, uh, first of all, Tim, I got to give you, you got a great COVID beard going, uh, which was coined by Howie. <laughs> I'm one of them. But, uh, 
I uh, just want to point that out. I noticed that. Uh, but I thought he was very astute. I thought he was very articulate. I thought he was very funny. Um, I loved what he had to say about the environment, and you can kind of see that in the rumors going on with other free agents. Um, and it, it, and I, I wasn't aware of the connection to Jeremy Hefner, so obviously that seemed to be one of the bridges that helped get such an A-class bullpen arm. Uh, and, and as you said, Rich, I mean, this is, this is something that has been a need for the Mets arguably for 58 years, <laughs> uh, let alone <laughs> the last 10. So uh, I thought it was a great move, and I look forward to seeing how this entire offseason plays out. And that's a good segue to my next question, which is a couple of the other signings the Mets have made. They signed a guy named Trevor. No, not that one. They signed Trevor Hildenberger, and that's an old joke now. And they signed a young man by the name of Jared Robinson, both relievers, both young, um, both with power arms. Now, these guys are minor league signings, right? So, Tim, my question to you is, you know, what can you share about either of those guys that we might want to keep our eye on? But my bigger question to you is this one, and, and I may be reading into this. Is this a situation where you think the Mets are going with that, um, that plan that some teams have, which is, you know, we'll have a good starting pitching staff, but we're going to have a killer bullpen. Do you think this points to that, or do you think these are just more depth signings? What can you share about either of those players and your thoughts on that? I, I would say the latter at this point. Uh, the Mets, you know, if they go out and sign Hendricks and Hand and really make it a super bullpen, then yeah, then they're going the strong bullpen route. Uh, but as far as Hildenberger and Jared Robinson, to me, I sort of lump all the minor league contracts, big league spring training invite guys into, I, I lump them together, right? Hildenberger is a little different because he's pitched in the majors. He had a pretty good season a couple of years ago in 2017. Um, but every year, every team brings a bunch of these guys into spring training. And usually one of them or two of them is going to not only win a job on the opening day roster, but otherwise make his way to the majors during the year and have a notable impact. This year it was Chasen Shreve, right? He was a minor league signing who, you know, didn't pitch in too many high leverage situations, but he was very effective for the Mets whenever they gave him the ball. Uh, Erasmus Ramirez was that too in September. Um, so that's – every team needs those, right? Every team, if you're going to make the playoffs, if you're going to win the World Series, you're going to need some unexpected contributors. And in, uh, in Robinson, Hildenberger, uh, those are just two more guys in the pool of guys who might be that. And, and Tim, thank you for that. And before, Sam, I go to you, you mentioned something, and then now I, I can't let you go. Um, why did they not bring Shreve back? Why did they non-tender him? I mean, uh, first of all, my opinion, you could never have enough lefties in your bullpen. Second thing, they have none. And third, the guy was pretty good. What, what, what can you share on that? Me? Yes, Tim, if you don't mind, I, I, on Shreve. Sure, sure. I, I'm sorry, I thought you said Sam. Uh, it's just that he, he wasn't worth the money that he would have gotten via arbitration. Um, still possible they can bring him back on a, on a, on a lower money deal. Um, you're right in that they don't have any left-handers aside from Daniel Zamora, who we didn't see much of in 2020. Um, so that is definitely a need, you know, between now and the start of spring training. I would, I'm very confident that they will fill that need uh, one way or another. Um, so I, I wouldn't totally rule out Shreve, but he would have been due probably a little more than $2 million via arbitration, and, and the Mets think they can do better. Wow. Thank you for the explanation. I just had a Wilpon flashback, but I'll get past that. You know, not worth the money. I, it made me shake a little. Be honest with you, man. It made me shake. Okay. So, Sam, um, turning to you then, um, I'm going to ask you the question on a different level. So what is okay. your philosophy on on – this concept, whether the Mets are building it this way or not, and they may be, um, what's your thought on traditionally having a strong starting rotation, you know, and a, and a good bullpen or doing kind of what the Rays did, which is, yeah, you know, we got a couple of nice starters here, but we're going to throw Pete Fairbanks at you. We're going to, we have these monsters in the bullpen to use a quote from, um, 
Kevin Cash, I've got a cadre or I've got a, I've got a, a what do you call it? A barn full of guys who throw really hard when he was mad at the Yankees. Stay, so, a stable. A stable. Right. A barn. I was thinking I was, I'm the, on the farm <laughs> anyway, the wrong term. So, um, so Sam, what's your philosophy on that? Do you think either could work or do you prefer one or the other? Lights out bullpen or more traditionally balanced? Well, I mean, I guess the way that I'll have to answer it is, first, what is my opinion before I, I read the tea leaves, if you will? Um, I, I'd say that, you, you know, you, you're going to have less of a need. I think we've talked about it. So what kind of came first, the chicken or the egg? You're going to have less of a need for a killer bullpen if your starters can go deeper. If you're not just depending on Jacob DeGrom to go six innings, you're depending on him to go seven or eight. And then the bullpen is going to be less taxed. Uh, so, I, you, you know, especially coming from the Mets' perspective, you know, this is a team rich in starting pitching history. Um, however, gotten a little bit more specialized. There is a lot more dependency on that bullpen. And as we've seen with the Mets, they, that has led to them suffering more. Um, so I, I, I'd say that, like, I considering, you know, whether it's, it's traditional things like no DH, whether it, it is, uh, you know, going nine innings, whether it's a closer being able to go three innings, uh, like, I, I've tried to stop being – I don't want to say, like, stop being a boomer about it, just, just, but I'm only trying to be funny about that. I'm trying not to be stuck with all these, these – I, I want to watch baseball. That's the bottom line. Whatever is going to make baseball stick around and be successful, uh, which I don't necessarily think the people in place running baseball uh, uh, I'm, I'm confident about, um, but what, whatever will actually keep eyes on the game so I can keep my eye on the game, that's what I'm about. Makes sense. Makes sense. You know, and it's hard to argue either way because look at the Rays, you know. Look how effective they were. I mean, when they came to City Field late last year and Pete Fairbanks started the first game, you're like, who in the hell is this guy? And it turns out, you know, he's just one of those guys. He'll do the opener or he'll be in the bullpen and he throws lights out. Oh, you could go that way. Or look at the Dodgers. You know, the Dodgers have, have a very strong rotation and they're the world champions. So, you know, there's definitely more than one way to skin that cat. And, and so now, Tim, I'm going to go to, we've talked about the moves the Mets have made. Let's talk about what everybody wants to talk about, which is the moves they may make. So, the names that have been tied to the Mets are, we all know them, George Springer, James McCann, I almost said Brian, but it's James, James McCann, uh, JT Real Muto, Trevor Bauer. Those are the big fish out there. Tim, if I asked you which one of those, if you had to say one, is most likely to come to the Mets, not which one might be best for them, but which one you think is most likely to come, which one would you say and why? Uh, mm, wow. Which one is most likely? Boy, you caught me off guard with that one because I'm, I'm kind of torn because I, I view some of them as kind of package deals almost, right? The idea of signing McCann is you don't have to spend too much money on him. So then you can get Springer or, or, or Bauer, right? So I'd say all things considered Springer is most likely. Um, but that's just a, a gut feel more than anything. Um, you know, it, you have to see how some of the other pieces fall into place too. But uh, most likely, boy, <laughs> I was so ready for which one would be the best addition, and, and you came at me at another angle. <laughs> well, which one would be the best addition? Let's ask that question. Which one do you think is the best addition? My my my, my take, and I've been consistent on this on Twitter, so anybody who sees my tweets probably already knows, but it it should be JT Real Muto. The, the difference between JT Real Muto and James McCann is significant. And in this new Mets world where money is supposed to be no object or at least less of an object, then I don't understand going for a lesser catcher who's a little older um, when you have the best catcher in baseball available for nothing but money. Um, so JT Real Muto should be their top target. If we take at face value, kind of the buzz from various reporters 
Uh, they haven't talked to him that much, which lines up more or less with what I've heard. I, I don't totally buy that. I don't necessarily take it at face value. Um, I think the McCann stuff could be a play to, you know, get real Muto to hurry up or drop his price or what have you. Um, but the Mets should be focusing on real Muto. Whether or not they end up that way uh, sounds like no, but we'll see. You surprised me. I guess turn about fair play. I did not think you would say real Muto was, you think, the best fit. Um, and we'll talk about why. I mean, it's a great answer. He's certainly logical. He certainly fits on the team. I have a different thought on the quote-unquote best, but, but we'll go with that in a minute. So, Sam, same question to you. If you had to pick one of Springer, McCann, Real Muto, Bauer, which one do you think is most likely to be a Met and why? Hmm. I'm going to say Springer is most likely to be a Met because that outfield need has been so big. Um. And not to say that starting pitching, especially the way things have been going since they made the World Series on the backs of their starting pitching, uh, I, I I think that, you know, the, we've been clamoring for, like, a real outfielder and not some of these guys that, that you know, are just playing out of place or just aren't that good at defenders. Um, and I, 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 I think that that's clear that it, it – it, uh, creates it, it, it. They already have a really good offense, and George Springer would just make that even that much better. Outside of what Real Muto would do to it, I, it seems as if with Real Muto, they're scared off by the knee. But also, I, and and Tim might be able to speak to this. I also heard that he might not be thrilled about potentially coming to the Mets. I, I somebody just told me that the other day that they had heard that that he said something kind of a little lackluster about it, but maybe he wasn't playing his cards. Um, and, and I think I, I think that that would be uh, the one that I, I think is the most likely. But, of course, they've also had a need for a catcher that, you know, they, they tried to sell us Wilson Ramos, but that obviously was another bottom-of-the-barrel uh, kind of past-his-prime type uh, signing um, that ended up just being atrocious on the defensive side of things and had some flashes of offense, but never really got consistent. Uh, I, I, that's what I think if we're, if we had to pick one of the four, that's the one I think is most likely. So you brought something up. Let's go to our insider. We have him on the call. So Tim, is there something to that? From what you're hearing, JT real Muto, not a New York guy, or do you think it's a bunch of bluster to try to drive the price up? Uh, bluster. Uh, I, I was specifically told that the Real Muto doesn't want to play a New York thing, doesn't have any real merit to it, and it probably came from somebody within the Phillies who I'm sure likes that idea being out there. So I, I don't buy into that at all, to be honest. Fair enough. Thank you. All right, guys. Um, hope you guys like math. So we're going to do math now. Um, so the Mets are, you know, Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, Roughly $60 million under the luxury tax. That's a number I've heard bandied about. Okay, so let's just say it's close to that. Now, from what I understand from watching Anthony Recker just a couple hours ago on, uh, on Baseball Night New York, he says that it really does act as a, a cap, you know, the luxury tax. No teams want to go over it, nor should they, right? You don't want to just give away money for nothing. So most teams try to stand under the, the luxury tax. Let's assume the Mets are philosophically there. They want to stand under the luxury tax. Okay. And they're $60 million away. I'm going to attach some numbers to these guys. And then I'm going to ask you to tell me how you would spend it. And these are just numbers I've heard around. And, Tim, you know, if you think it's different than that, let me know. Um, what I'm seeing attached to Springer, who I'm going to say it a second time, is a Connecticut guy like me and Tim. Uh, what I'm seeing <laughs> attached to Springer is $25 million. That's a lot of money. Um, maybe it's 20 Maybe it's 25 But l- let's, let's, go with tw- let's go with 25 for Springer. Per year, McCann. I'm hearing roughly ten, right? So ten. Um, Real Muto, probably twenty-five, probably up in that stratosphere. Um, Bauer, thirty. That's what I'm hearing. Maybe twenty-five, maybe thirty. Okay, so I'm going to go over that again. Springer twenty-five, McCann ten, Real Muto twenty-five, Bauer thirty. You have sixty million to spend. You cannot get all four of them. 
Tim, how are you spending that money? Uh, Real Muto, Springer, and uh, 10 for Brad Hand, and that puts you at 60. Uh, it might be closer to 70 before they hit the, the, the soft cap there, according to Cop's contracts, who's pretty good on this, because they did gain the, some, of the, some room when Robinson Cano uh, lost his salary for 2021. But Real Muto, Springer, Hand, Adds up to about 60. That sounds like a good plan to me. Real Muto, Springer, Hand. Okay. So, sounds like a great plan to me, too. Um, so, I'm going to take a guess, then, that you're kind of leaning to, which is something I heard on Baseball Night New York a little bit ago, that they may may not need – I mean, of course, you could always need – you can always use Bauer, right? But but with what they have starting pitching-wise, with Syndergaard coming back middle of the season – it might be a better bet to shore up the bullpen, which seems like the direction you're going. So you get the best catcher on in the game, basically, right? You get the best catcher in the game. You get a center fielder that has multiple benefits because he, he allows you to push Nimmo over to left where Nimmo is much better defensively. Um, and then you have, you know, a guy with power and, and all of that and right-handed bat, which they need. So multiple benefits there and hand you're beefing up the bullpen. Love the plan. You know, I would sign on for that. So, Sam, your turn to do some math with us. How would you spend the 60? Ooh. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand uh, the entire Real Muto thing. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think McCann would be that awful. So, I, I'm not going to be that averse to that move. Um, and then I would get Springer and Bauer. I mean, you know, the, the, the unfortunate thing is that Noah Syndergaard is kind of the forgotten man now. Uh, but before he got injured, he was rather inconsistent. He had some flashes of what we believe he can be. Uh, but this, this, starting, uh, this, this starting five needs to be shored up, and it needs to be shored up with somebody who has had the trajectory that led him to the Cy Young Award. Uh, even if it's a short season. Um, I, I think Trevor Bauer is really he, – he really seems to have a good idea of how to utilize uh, the current media situation for an individual player and how to connect with people out there. Um, I know there's some people that find him annoying, uh, but I find him to be rather fascinating when it comes – to the way he's been going about, uh, uh, you know, doing the whole social media game, including YouTube, you know, having his own channel. Um, that That's probably the, uh, the direction that I would go. Sam, that's what I would do too. Um, and it sounds weird to say that because I, I, I agree. McCann is not real Muto and I'm settling for a catcher who's, you know, who's probably not in the same conversation. But if that enables me to have Bauer and, um, and Springer, mm, I think I might want to do that. Um, so, but I, I'm kind of intrigued by Springer. So, Tim, if they were to get Springer, obviously he'd go to center field. Nimmo goes to left field, I think. Um, and if there's no DH, what do they do with Dom and Pete? Uh, I think the best plan if there is no DH yet is just cross your fingers and hope to add the DH before the season starts. <laughs> Otherwise they're pretty screwed. Um, now just for the record, uh, I, my, my official prediction is that there will be a DH. I think the union and the league will figure themselves out and do what's best for baseball. Maybe that's giving them too much credit. Um, but I, I do believe there will be a DH in the national league in 2021 and, and all the years after that. Um, if there isn't and they add Springer, then they're putting square pegs in the round holes every, every day, essentially, you know, uh, it would mean one of Springer, Nimmo, Dom and Pete have to sit every day. And if, and, and for a lot of those arrangements, if you want Pete Alonso in the lineup, that means you're going to be weak defensively at first base and left field if, if, if Dom Smith is there and center field if Brandon Nimmo is there. Um, that would mean 
Springer out, which on the bench, which I can't imagine being the case too often, but uh, it would be quite the puzzle for Luis Rojas and the front office to piece together every day. It'd be super suboptimal for the Mets. They'd be, it, that, that'd be super unfortunate for them. And let me ask you a question I ask everybody I know, Tim. Um, do you like the DH personally? Um, do you think it's good for the game or not? It is absolutely good for the game. It is good for the players. It is good for the fans. I am ardently pro-designated hitter. I grew up an American League fan, so when I started, you know, first the Marlins and then the Mets covering National League teams, uh, it's just mind-numbing to watch pitchers hit. Pitchers have been bad hitters for more than 100 years, and it's not a matter of, oh, they should practice or, you know, if you just let them hit their whole life, blah, blah, blah. No, no. Pitching always has been, and especially now is, way too specialized and way too difficult of a skill set for anybody to reasonably put any time into hitting and being passable at that, right? We'll, we'll, we'll always get the outliers like Madison Bumgarner, uh, DeGrom's a decent hitter, um, but even decent by pitcher standards is terrible. <laughs> so the DH in the National League was a breath of fresh air in 2020, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to that continuing to be the case. You hurt me to my core, Tim. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I feel how I feel. <laughs> no, and, and hey, that, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually, I despise the DH with every, every ounce of my soul, but I am at the point now where it's ridiculous to have different rules for the two leagues. And if it means having consistency with the DH, so be it. You know, I, I'm I'm ready to throw my hands up on it. Um, Atta boy. So, yeah, I can come around. You feel can I? Can I? Trick, um, so. Can Please I? Do. Uh, let me. Let me. I'd like to interject here, uh, just to also take this opportunity to criticize the MLB as well. Um, I I think for for one. One of the biggest selling points that I've ever heard was when Sandy Alderson during one of his pressers uh, mentioned how – reminded us that pitchers can't even bunt anymore, <laughs> let alone hit. And I was like, you know what? That's true. Like, it, we've, been, we've been talking about this, how, how atrocious uh, especially the Mets uh, pitchers had been. Um, and that might not just be isolated to the Mets. Uh, but what, what I wanted to criticize, the fact that – there is no clarity with this. It's just like, how could you do this to your, you are an organization. Uh, you, you have 30 members of that organization and they have no idea how they can go about doing their business during the, the, the time that, you know, you don't have to be reactive the way you do during a season. You have to be proactive in the middle of, of the off season. Uh, and they, they're kind of just twiddling their thumbs, not knowing how to be proactive with the way to assemble the roster. It's insane. And it also reminds me, I, I just watched the documentary on, that's uh, on Netflix right now called Screwball. And um, I thought it was a very informative documentary about the steroid era. Uh, I, I had, you know, outside of certain filmmaking issues that I had with it, um, it what really was just shocking was finding out about MLB doing like an under the table gangster deal for the information that was stolen out of somebody's car that had uh, uh, evidence uh, against A-Rod. And, and I don't know how they could get away with that, let, let alone the public allowing it. But how, I don't understand how that's even a proper from an authoritarian, from an authority standpoint. Um, and so, I like, you know, we've criticized Rob Manfred on this podcast. Seeing something like that, just, I, 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 it, I was like, oh my, I was just shaking my head. I was like, I cannot believe that a major corporation that is, is basically, a, in many ways, a public entity uh, of, of the United States would do something, would, would operate that way. It's insane. It's outrageous, and I don't understand how they can live with themselves. 
No, it, it is. And, and then the fact that you had for 50, almost 50 years, leagues playing with different rules, let that sink in for a minute. And then, um, and then, you know, now, like you're saying, teams are trying to plan their rosters and we all know it's a bargaining chip for the next CBA. Yeah, we all get that. But at some point you've got to tell people how the game is going to be played, whether it starts in two months or whether it starts in three months, you have to tell people how the game is going to be played. I, I think you owe your teams and, and, and your fans by extension that much. So no, you're right. Um, all right. Moving to our next topic, Tim, we'll go to you first on this one. Um, two part question. And then Sam, you've got the same one. Lindor. Mets are tied to Lindor. Mets are not tied to Lindor. Uh, as Sandy says, I don't want to trade prospects. Some people say this is a generational talent. When that kind of generational talent is available, you go get that talent. So, Tim, the two parts of the question are, from what you're hearing, are the Mets in on Lindor or not? And then secondly, your opinion, do you think they should be? Uh, one, I don't know that Lindor talks have – gotten very far in any direction so I can't say definitively that the Mets have been on him uh, but two, yes they should be in on him and it would surprise me if they were not in on him because what you know maybe it's the journalist in me parsing words but Sandy saying a couple of weeks ago that they prefer the Mets prefer to keep most of their top prospects that does not preclude them from pursuing Lindor because they can pull off a Lindor trade without parting with all or any of their top prospects. Um, I, I, the way I see it, it would be, you know, some, you know, look at the pool of major league position players who let the Indians take their pick. If, if, if you want JD Davis, Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, um, even Dom Smith. I think the Indians badly need a, first baseman um and dom is a very good one and uh maybe he turns into the centerpiece but however you split it there are major league options to you know centerpiece wise in in a potential trade along those lines and then if you have to throw in a prospect or maybe tack on a second prospect rated lower that's fine um because that's francisco lindor he's really really good um that said any Lindor trade is only worth it if you're going to sign him to an extension. So that's the, you know, subtext of all that. For sure. And so Sam, should the Mets be in on Lindor? And as Tim said, let's say the price tag is one of Nimmo Davis or Dom or Rosario. One or two of those guys is the price tag because you don't want to trade prospects. Maybe Jimenez, but Jimenez would have to go with a Dom, I would think. So if that's the price, are you in on Lindor? Should the Mets be in on Lindor? Uh, I'm very much against trading Dom Smith. Uh, I think he is a fantastic player. I think he's found his groove, uh, both mentally and physically. Uh, And I I, I wonder whether Sandy, uh, since it was one of his uh, first draft picks, would be attached to him. But then again, knowing Sandy, he is pretty pragmatic and practical uh, and doesn't usually do things uh, rather emotionally, it, it seems, from what I've known of him. Um, and I think you have to include a shortstop. I think that's, that's a given. And for me, after seeing the instincts that Jimenez has, uh, I, I would be holding on to him for dear life. Um, as much as I've been you know, waiting for Rosario Blossom, uh, I think the defensive side of things, it, it's very, it's very likely that um, Rosario could potentially end up being a better offensive player than Andres Jimenez. Um, but I think there's plenty of offense uh, to, to come with Andres Jimenez. And that defense is just out of this world. Um, so, you know, I, I do think it's going to cost two. I don't think it's going to cost only one. And that shortstop, of course, has to go there. Uh, but I, I would not be trading Dom. Of course, I'm a, I like Nimmo. Uh, I, I really do like him. And I think he's the perfect fourth outfielder. And I was having this conversation with another Mets fan last night, how you, you, know, you want somebody like him who can get on base but also has the pop, also has the hitting prowess. You want that type of depth on your bench 
And, of course, it makes sense that he would trend as a fourth outfielder because even though he's made some great plays here and there, uh, he doesn't have the same type of instincts as, like we were saying, like a George Springer. Or even, like, let's go even further back, how good Carlos Beltran was out there. Um, so, yeah, that, that is I, – I, I understand where Sandy's coming from when he's saying, uh, especially now that there's a new ownership in play – uh, let's go the free agent route and not, you know, because none of that costs players other than that con- compensatory pick. So depending, obviously, on the type type of player, type A or type B. So that I I, I understand he's a once in a generation player, um, but at the same time, I think both Jimenez and Dom Smith I would not be willing to trade. And that's a great debate going on right now is, you know, everybody says, oh, what's the price? That's, that's what you should say in the context of any trade, right? Um, and what's too much? Well, you know, that, that's a matter of opinion. I, I can't imagine the Indians would make that deal without Jimenez being involved. They're going to want to replace a young, talented shortstop with one who could be a very young, talented shortstop. I don't think Rosario would get it done. I think he has too much negative baggage. Um, and then you probably have to throw in a Nimmo or a Dom and, or a J.D. Davis on top of that. So, you know, is Jimenez and one of Dom, Nimmo, and J.D. Davis, is that too much? Probably not to get a, a generational talent like that. And, of course, they'd have to work out that they would extend him. You, you do not make that trade unless you can extend Lindor. Um, all right, guys. So, and you're listening to the Metzian Podcast with Sam, Mike, and Rich. Tonight it's just Rich and Sam. And we're thrilled to be joined by Tim Healy of Newsday to talk winter meetings, hot stove. So, gentlemen, another name that is, has been very loosely tied to the Mets is that of Josh Hader. And, Tim, I'm going to ask you about this one first. I, I did a piece for Metsmerized Online this week about that. And, you know, Hader, his, his K rate, K through 9 rate, is I'm shooting from memory, but I think it's about 16 and a half. I mean, this guy strikes out almost two batters an inning. He led the National League with 13 saves last year. Um, He's absolutely lights out. And you ask yourself, you know, why would the Brewers trade this guy? Well, I'll tell you why. Um, We're coming off of pandemic baseball. This is his first year of arbitration eligibility. He made 4.1 last year. And you have to think with the kind of numbers he has, he's going to get a hell of a pay raise. And maybe the Brewers just, just aren't about that. Maybe they don't want to pay him that kind of money. They have the National League Rookie of the Year in Delvin Williams, who is the same guy from the right side. Guy throws really hard and strikes out about two guys an inning. So you have that. And the Brewers have a fairly deep bullpen. You know, they've got Claudio. They've got some other guys. They've got Phelps. So would they consider dangling Hater? Some people seem to think so. And, and then the question becomes, if they're dangling Hater, what would it take for the Mets to get him? And should they? And that's my question for you, Tim. What I was thinking is I looked at that Brewers roster. They had Eric Sogard at third base. Well, he didn't have a really good year. So, so obviously we think J.D. Davis, right? And in Miller Park, maybe that makes sense. Now, obviously J.D. Davis isn't enough. But do you think the Mets should entertain something like that? I mean, yes, they have Diaz. But we just talked about how they don't have any lefties in the bullpen. They would have interchangeable closers and get a guy who is just devastating. And before I ask you for your opinion, Tim, I'm going to throw this in, and I got a lot of comments on this on Metsmerized Online. Uh, people were saying, you don't trade for relievers. See how that worked out with Diaz, and I had a laugh at that. So, <laughs> um, so you know, does recent burning factor into your opinion? So, Tim, where would you go with that? Um, I think if, if, if Hader is known to be available or if he might be available, the Mets should call and ask because they're only hurting themselves if they don't look into it. But I'm not particularly interested if I'm the Mets, which I'm not. Uh, if I'm the Mets, I'm not particularly interested in trading for Josh Hader because he just signed Trevor May and Liam Hendricks and Brad Hand are out there. And you don't need to pay up the wazoo for a reliever. And, and I don't, I'm not even factoring it. I'm trying not to factor in the fact that the Mets did that for Edwin Diaz and it's been a disaster. Um, I'm just not really interested in that. You know, I think the Mets can build a terrific bullpen without paying via players for a guy who now isn't even going to be that cheap anymore. Um, you know, his minimum years are over. Um, and now he's in arbitration and 
you know, it's going to, he's going to become expensive quick. So uh great reliever, no doubt about that. I just, it's not that interesting to me uh, as far as a Mets trade target. Fair enough. Sam, with everything you know and have hmm. observed about Hader, he throws from the left side. He throws quite hard from the left side. He certainly kills the Mets. I, I don't think the Mets have ever, I know this is hyperbole, I don't think the Mets have ever gotten a hit off the guy that I could remember. Um, so, Sam, w- would you up. be in on Hader? <laughs> Just for the hair alone. I mean, my God, look at this. You know, like, like uh, we haven't had anything like this since, since uh, DeGrom cut his off. But then again, DeGrom has become uh, one of the greatest pitchers of all time uh, since he's done that. Um, But I I hear where Tim's coming from, um, and especially what we were just saying about uh, not uh, like going the free agent route and not costing players. Um, But it's interesting, you know, he had a, a bit of a higher ERA than he usually does in this last season, but you see that, with his whip, he has a, uh, he had a, uh, it was high, his highest since 2017, but still under one at 0.947. Um, so he's certainly still one of the, uh, the best relievers in baseball. Um, consi- I don't want to be a hypocrite considering that I was saying, let's go for the free agent route. And I, I would have to agree with Tim. And that certainly makes sense. And and the Brewers are not going to give him up. And you're right. You're not saving money if you get Hater. He's going to command a hell of a payday. Um, but, you know, Tim, you've mentioned Brad Hand a couple times. So obviously, you know, you, you think highly of him, as you should. Um, very talented left-handed reliever. Um, as I'm looking him up here, you know, I look at some of his numbers, and, and yeah, I mean, he'd be – a really good target. I mean, you look at this, you know, and he's got, um, damn, his whip last year was 0.773. What do you think it would take to get this guy? I mean, do you think, uh, do you think, well, not what would it take, but do you think the Mets are, have genuine interest? Uh, Yeah, I would expect the Mets to have genuine interest because as we pointed out earlier, they don't have any reliable lefties in the bullpen right now. And he is, about as reliable as it gets. Um, you know, he had that breakout a couple year, years ago with the Padres. Ever since the Marlins stopped uh, messing with him, you know, as far as uh, starting, relieving, etc. Um, and he's been a dominant reliever in the last couple years with the Indians. He's an all-star every year. He's got that, you know, two-something ERA pretty much every year. Uh, this year, it's 2.05 with 16 saves. That's that's pretty good. Um, so there, there's a lot to like there. The resume speaks for itself, and, and as does the Mets' need of a lefty in the bullpen. Clearly, as you said, they will address that need. They're not going to go into the season, you know, with, with no lefties in the bullpen, but it's kind of weird, you know, that, that a team at this point has nobody. Like, usually they have a couple guys who aren't that good, but they don't even have that. Um, Speaking of lefties in the bullpen, off-the-wall question now that we're talking about it, do you think Steven Matz is his best role is in the bullpen, or do you think he, they'll keep him as a starter? I think it's an interesting possibility for sure. I, I fully expect him to come to camp uh, as a starter, stretch out as a starter during spring training. We'll see what the rotation situation looks like right now. I mean, uh, at that point, right now he's, what, the third or fourth starter by default in the rotation behind – the Grom and Stroman and alongside Peterson. Um, so there's obviously work to be done rotation wise for the Mets. Um, and honestly, I, I hope Matt gets a shot at, uh, you know, at maybe winning a job toward the back of the rotation. Um, uh, it, but if, if not, and they want to try him in the bullpen, I, I, that is a very interesting possibility to me. I would be very curious to see what that looks like. Sam, um, a lot of people thought, or some, I would say, hoped that Matt, and I'm not one of them, that Matt would have been non-tendered. Uh, he was tendered, so he is a Met. Um, apparently, there was some trade talk with Toronto. I don't know if that is, you know, what, what my, how substantive that was. So Matt is a guy in flux, you know. I mean, 10 ERA last year, yikes. Um, and trying to, you know, should he be with the Mets? Does he need to change the scenery? If he's with the Mets, bullpen, rotation, certainly has struggled quite a bit. What, what are your thoughts on Matt, Sam? Do you want to see him traded? Do you, starter, reliever, what do you think? 
You know, Matt's is such a, a, a tough one because we've all been hoping that the uh, the the hometown kid can you know make good on the promise that we saw from not only the the hype before he came up, but that first game, of course, and you know talk about uh, hitting pitchers. You know, he he, came, he stormed on the scene and completely dominated that first game, um, and, and and you know it's a it's a Mets pop culture legend that moment um but at the same time and and i'll say this that i relate to him because i think i have certainly had issues getting my emotions under control and i think that is his number one issue is just letting everything get out of hand uh and you 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 know we've talked about it plenty of times on this podcast that you can see it on his face how frustrated he is uh, and, and like, like it's not even frustrated with anybody around. He's frustrated deliberately with himself. Uh, do I think that what, which, what should actually happen with Steven Matt? At this point, he has to prove himself to have a place in that starting rotation. Um, and, and so I'm not about to hand anything over to Steven Matt uh, without him earning it at this point. Um, and so whatever happens, however this this season gets started, uh, like we were talking about before, um, I think he's going to be vying for a job, but I don't think that necessarily poor play means that he needs to go to the bullpen. Um, I, I, cause it, it, you know, the, the same issues that arise with uh, the starting pitching could easily arise uh, when it comes to the bullpen. So he needs to get those emotions under control and one way or another, uh, right now, you know, he, he he has a place on this team, but it could very well be that he needs to go back and fix some things. And if it comes to that point, depending on how his performance is in spring training, I hope he – I'm not sure whether he's allowed to deny that, but I, I – I, you know, if, if it doesn't seem to be working in the major league level, that might be the last necessary step and not the idea of him getting away from town. Although – it, it maybe that's the problem. It's kind of like a Daryl Strawberry thing, where even even though he grew up a Mets fan, even though he grew up in the area, maybe being in the area is a little too close to home. You know, obviously, exactly like literally too close to home, and everything kind of just has played out that way. That he's had maybe too many distractions, too too you know, like every everywhere he goes, one way or another, he's going to hear about the Mets and hear about his performance. Uh, and, and I guess that would tend that, that may happen in other places, but probably not the same way it would happen one in New York and two in his hometown and his, his, his home, you know, land, because he's literally physically very close to where he grew up. Those could be factors. You know, some people have said, some athletes have said that the hardest thing they ever had to do is play close to home. All right. So, so gentlemen, we are, close to our hour so we're coming you know toward the end a um, couple more things I wanted to mention before we wrap it up so Tim I'm going to go to you first on this one the GM search um, kind of odd right because the Mets have the open GM position and it seems like all these guys don't want to do it you know Chris Young dabbled in it and now I don't want that job I'll take another job I'll take the Rangers job um, and and then, you know, it seems like people come and go, they interview, and eh, not no no traction there. I so the question is 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 some way are the Mets unattractive or what in the heck is going on? Why can't they get a GM? And secondly, assuming they, they don't, do you think it's it's po- a real possibility that they go through the twenty twenty one season with Sandy wearing both hats? I have considered that possibility, but I'm I'm not there yet in saying it's a it's likelihood. Uh, but you're, you're right. This this we're at the point now where honestly it's kind of bizarre that they don't have a GM yet. They they already tried and failed to hire a president of baseball operations. They were settling for a GM, and that was two and a half weeks ago. Now uh, we hadn't, haven't heard very much from since. I I, I have to give. Sandy and the Mets props for uh, not leaking the names of those they're considering, really. You know, Sandy said a couple of weeks ago that he interviewed five or six people for the GM job, uh, and we don't even really know their names. Um, 
So that's that that's an interesting dynamic that is not uh, you know not normal for the Mets. Uh, maybe normal for the for the new Mets for Steve Cohen's Mets. Uh, so where is it going to go? Beats me. I think it's anybody's guess right now. I think there are a lot of uh, assistant general managers, senior vice president types out there who are attractive GM candidates, and it's just a matter of, of picking one. Uh, no reason this should be an unattractive job for anybody who aspires to be a good GM in baseball. Uh, I, don't, I don't buy that at all. It doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense to me either. I mean, you would think you're hearing from players, you know, Trevor Bauer with a love fest for the Mets, you know, that, that, you know, something dynamic is happening and, you know, everybody's excited about it and that kind of thing. Um, and here they can't find a GM. So, so maybe it's just timing, you know, maybe it's all those things, but, um, and maybe Sandy has to wear both hats for the whole year. Hopefully not, you know, hopefully they, they could bring in a GM. I know. I don't know what you know, Tim, about, about Owens, I've read I've read about him. And do you have any insight on him, or, or what what might if what if anything can you tell us about him? Just that he you know he came up through the scouting ranks as opposed to the analytical ranks, but he also comes from Oakland, which is obviously a very analytic savvy organization. Obviously on the for, forefront of that for a couple of decades now, even longer, going back to when Sandy Alderson was the general manager there, and he was sort of the godfather godfather of the pre Moneyball athletics. Um, so he's an interesting candidate for sure. If he was the guy, then I think they probably would have locked it up by now. Uh, what's interesting about Owens is that, or Owens and the A's is that Billy Bean might be leaving the A's. And if Billy Bean leaves the A's, then that makes room for David Forrest and then others, including maybe Owens to move on up into the GM title. So, um, you know, maybe he wants the title without having to change organizations. That's an interesting dynamic there with Owens in particular. So, uh, interesting guy, highly regarded. Um, would be, I would imagine, a, a good fit for most any team that considers it. That is interesting. And the way the cascading of things could happen in Oakland. Do you put any stock into this idea or this big conspiracy theory? that Sandy will run the show this year or maybe bring in a GM and then all signs point to Theo Epstein next year when his obligation to the Cubs, you know, to sit out a year and the last, what would have been the last year of his contract has been fulfilled. Do you put anything into that? Uh, I don't put anything into that. Um, that would essentially require Steve Cohen to drastically change directions after less than a year because, Theo Epstein isn't coming to run baseball operations. He, he would be running an organization, which is Sandy's job. He, Theo might even want a piece of the team, which I'm not sure Steve Cohen wants to give him. Uh, so I, I don't I, – I, I, I'm a little bit of a Theo Epstein fanboy, so as much fun as that would be and as into that, as much fun as that would be to cover, um, I, I don't really expect that on any level. It would be fun. And you think about it, right? He would have gone. It's so it's set up so perfectly. He would have gone to the Red Sox and broken their drought um, uh, for a World Series. Then 108 years, Cubs suffering, suffering Cubs fans. Bang, here comes Theo Epstein. Here's your World Series. Well, you know, the Mets haven't won in a long time either. <laughs> and it would be great if he came and gave us one. Just saying, you know. It, it would have been kind of a storybook thing. So, uh, all right, but you're not putting much into it. Fair enough. So, Sam, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think Sandy um, is prepared to, and do you think the Mets are in a good place if he has to run the show and wear two hats all year? That's, a, that's Sam? an interesting one. You know, hi, I'm here. Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, you know, well, I, what I always say is that the Mets, might not be as cursed as those other two teams. Uh, however, they seem to fit 108 years of suffering into a 30-year span, and so <laughs> that's why everybody looks. That's why everybody looks at at Theo Epstein like really putting the cherry on top of his career at basically fix, fixing the juju that is around the Mets. Um, I think there, there's something that that's certainly warranted to to that thought process. Um, but you know, and it is weird that like, 
this we seem to have a lot of faith in in both Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson uh, for how this is going. Uh, that Met fans haven't been as like like we for a, a, a fan base that is impatient. Is, Uh, that we've had a lot of patience for the way this uh, has been has been playing out. So, um, I, I, I uh, like Tim uh, said, I wouldn't call myself necessarily a fanboy, uh, but I certainly think that 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 would be the, every Mets fan dream. I can't a Mets fan out there that is that says, I'm sorry if I'm having some audio problems, but I can't imagine that there's a Mets fan out there. That seems to that that would ever say you know I don't know about Theo, uh, so yes that would be the the dream, um, especially with how enthusiastic Sandy seems. Uh, it seems that that he's ready to do this job the way he envisioned it from the beginning. Uh, so I I hope there's some credence to to all of those rumors. Yeah, it, it, from what Tim said, maybe it, it's just, you know, us as fans kind of romanticizing how nice it would be. Maybe there's nothing to it. And I don't think, like you said, Tim, I don't think Steve Cohen's ready to give up a piece of the team after one year of ownership. But um, but you never know. You know, you can hope. That's what we do as fans, especially as Mets fans. Um, so last thing, guys, and I'll, I'll just make a statement. And if either of you want to comment on it, uh, that's fine. Then we'll get into the wrap-up. So, you know, it was on this day uh, in 1984 that the Mets got Gary Carter. And, you know, just, just a couple of random thoughts on that. A lot of people, I, I put that one up on Mesmerize today too, and, and, and a lot of people commented on it saying, wouldn't it be nice to get the next great catcher in the organization on the same day, right, on, on December 10th. So, but with regard to Gary Carter, the one thing I would say, you know, Steve Cohen has committed to doing the right thing, you know, and, and – um, and having more Mets history and bold timers day and things like that. Do you think Tim, there's any chance they could retire Carter's number? What I find bizarre is that three players have worn number eight since Carter, Desi Relaford is one and the other two escaping my mind right now. Uh, But since Carter was put in the Mets hall of fame in 2001, no Mets player has worn number eight. So they wore it before that, but not since do you think this is something Steve Cohen could do is, you know, the Seaver statue, we all talk about that, um, but maybe just retire Gary's number already. Yes, I think we'll see that. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more number retirement and celebration of the Mets past. Um, we're going to see a lot more of that under Steve Cohen. Uh, the, the, the Wilpons started to move in that direction only in the last couple of years and obviously didn't stick around long enough to really put the plan in action. Um, but I expect more number retirements. And uh, if you're looking at the list of guys who, who qualify or, or who deserve that, um, uh, you know, Gary Carter is obviously right up there. I would agree. Sam, your thoughts. You know, we talk about this all the time with Joan Payson and, you know, we talked mm-hmm. about Joan Payson. We talked about Seaver and Staub. I think Staub should have something. I think Staub mm-hmm. is, is, and Carter are 2-2A two and two a after Seaver for being acknowledged. Um, Staub did so much philanthropic work. Uh, but anyway, Sam, your thoughts. Do you, would you like to see Carter's number retired this year or very soon? Uh, this year or very soon. Let's throw Tug McGraw into that mix. Um, uh, just to randomly also, uh, not randomly, excuse me, but Dave Gallagher, Steve Swisher, Carlos Baerga, Cookie Rojas, Desi Relivert, and Matt Delante are the everybody to wear number eight after Gary Carter. The, it also speaks to the kind of tone-deaf half-assness that the Wilpons operated on, um, which really, you know, they could have easily just retired the number instead of putting it on the wall in 2012 after his death. Uh, but instead, they again another half-assed moment by the Wilpons. Uh, so I, I I do think Gary Carter's number uh, should be retired. Um, maybe even a little bit of acknowledgement for Yogi's position uh, within this uh, with, within this franchise um, as number eight. Um, but but I do think that even if he only played four years, Gary Carter meant the world to these fans. Gary Carter meant the world to these, this franchise. And he, he was somebody who literally always had a smile on his face. 
and didn't have a smile on his face, it was because he he was really pumped up and and pumping his fist at the crowd. You know, um, Gary Carter was was a big such a a glue of that team and a glue of that era that I think you know it, it, again it's just it's ridiculous the the level of the conservative level that the Wilpons operated when it comes to retiring numbers and, and because and it seemed like they were only doing it because of like some some you know stiff upper lip kind of attitude about the entire thing and also trying not to be the Yankees who have retired every number known to man. Um, so, yes, I would like to see Gary Carter's number retired. And I think, um, you know, as Met fans, uh, Tim, I'm sure you see it on Twitter, as Met fans, we argue with each other a lot. But this would be a point that I think is universally agreed that Carter's number should be retired. And hopefully, like you said, hopefully with the new ownership and the sensitivity, the fact that he's a fan himself and all of that, that, that we can maybe make some of this stuff happen. I'd, I'd love to see Staub and Carter, and then I could also make a uh, make an argument for Hernandez's number being retired. So, gentlemen, we have reached the end of the line. We've gone a little more than an hour. Tim, thank you for hanging in there with us. And so I want to thank our special guest, Tim Healy of Newsday. And, Tim, if one more time you could tell us where you could be found, where your work is, and what's hot on Newsday. Like, wh- what are you writing about these days? Well, you can, you can find me on Twitter at Tim B. Healy, H-E-A-L-E-Y, and, and, and at of course, at Newsday.com slash Mets, and I specifically want to plug, just to round back to get the Gary Carter topic real quick, Laura Albanese of Newsday very helpfully took it off my plate, but she wrote a, a trade including talking to Gary Carter's, Gary Carter's widow and a, and a couple former teammates. There were some particularly insightful comments, I thought, from Ron Darling about how Gary Carter was viewed by teammates at the time and, and how he views Gary Carter now and how uh, he's m- matured, essentially, Ron has. Uh, so at newsday.com slash Mets, go read that great Gary Carter story by Laura Albanese. Uh, and uh, uh, we got some fun, some fun stuff cooking at Newsday. Um, I, I have a fun story dropping soon, probably next week, that I don't want to say too much on, but just keep an eye out. Maybe, maybe visit the website regularly. You'll you'll know it when you see it. It's a long one, and I put a lot of work into it. Sounds great, Tim. We'll definitely look for that. And once again, thank you for joining us, Sam, Mr. Sam Maxwell, the CEO, the 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 uh, chief financial officer, chief everything officer of the Mexican oh. Podcast. Thank you for joining us tonight. I don't think anybody should ever give me a CFO title, but we can talk about that another day. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, you know, uh, thank you again for, uh, uh Tim, we th- thanks uh, again for joining us and giving us a little bit more clarity on this Mets hot stove. Uh, and you know, the only thing before passing it back to you, Rich, that I can say, of course, is let's go Mets. And let's go Mets. And Tim, if, if it's okay with you, we'd like to have you back on before the season starts, whenever that may be. And, uh, and talk about maybe we can sort of benchmark this show and, and what the roster looks like at that point. I'll be here. Thank you guys for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Sam. And everyone, you've been listening to the Metsian Podcast. Have a great night. And like Sam said, let's go Mets. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Happy Hanukkah. Have a good one, guys.